G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. You're on Vision Christian Radio and some more scripture in song coming over the hour ahead. For some of us, our conversation today may take us on a walk down memory lane. It may even ignite a spark of worship in your heart. Well, back in the 1970s and 1980s, almost every church was singing praise and worship songs that swept around the world and caused a huge revival in praise and worship music. You might remember those sorts of songs that uh, we've been hearing there like Be Exalted, uh, I Exalt Thee, and there's some more of those scripture in songs coming very shortly. Well, the source of these songs was in a ministry recording label called Scripture in Song, which started a movement that incorporated scripture within contemporary worship music. The two musicians who began what can be described as the phenomenon behind Scripture in Song were David and Dale Garrett. And over 50 years, yep, seems hard to believe that time has flown by, the Garretts have produced 28 albums and they have a new one just released with original songs called I Exalt Thee. Now, both David and his wife, Dale, are visiting Australia this week, and they're on the line with us from Sydney. To you, both Dale and to David, welcome along to 2020. Thank you so much. And David, welcome to you. Um, I'm, I'm on another line, it seems, and someone else is speaking on that line. <laughs> okay, well, I, I hope we can get this uh, nicely sorted so far as the lines go, but just wonderful to have the two of you on the line. You Thank are you. actually in Sydney this week. And, Dale, if I ask you, you're in Sydney and you're going to be leading a workshop and uh, taking people, uh, passing on a baton to a younger generation, those treasures that you've learned over many years as worship leaders. Uh, Dale, that's what you're doing in Sydney today? Uh, we did that last night, as a matter of fact, and it was fantastic. You know, it's so funny um, being 80 years of age and talking to what I call these kids of 40 and 50 years of age, and they'd never, ever heard of scripture and song or these songs you're talking about. So it's like some relics from the past walked in the room and taught them how to write a song. It was great. Well, I'm pleased that you've revealed your ages because uh, when we talk about a 50-year career, 28 albums in that time, uh, let me just see if I get this right. David, you're 81 years old, and Dale, you are 80 years old. Have I got the timing right there? Well, if, you, if anybody wants to give me a birthday present, you know, I'm 80 in two weeks. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Okay. I don't want to age you prematurely. <laughs> uh, I'm afraid it's happening. <laughs> okay. David, let me ask you, uh, having shaped the way the Christian world thinks 
about contemporary worship. Can you take us back to some of those early years and the sorts of things that were going through your mind when you thought you'd introduce scripture into praise and worship and use things like guitars and drums? Take us back to those early years. Well, it's interesting, really, because that's true. We um, we decided that we would begin to put, make a little album of some of the songs that just, this is in 1968, that were just beginning to uh, circulate, I suppose you could say, but also we wanted to do something that um, was using music, because in those days, church music was pretty well entirely a piano and an organ, and the two musicians didn't necessarily even relate to one another. And we thought, why not just use a rhythm section, because that's why it happens all the time, and we did. But actually, one of the first things that happened that I recall is um, hearing what we felt was the voice of God saying to us, I want you to learn to sing, or I want you to encourage people to sing to me not just about me, not about themselves, not about heaven, but about me. And so what happened was um, we began to look for songs and look to write songs that actually were directed to God himself rather than about other things. And that was, a, that was really the first indication that I, I could remember that actually... Um, was important and a really important directive to us in those days. And so that's what we began to do. And as you reflect over the years now, David, as you've mentioned that, you know, your scripture in song was directed towards God, uh, there is all sorts of different ways that people can approach praise and worship, but that's still a pretty tried and true good method, isn't it, to direct your song, to direct your praise, your worship directly towards God? Well, well, the thing about it is this, that if we talk about worship, we talk about a connection between the worshipper and the one that's being worshipped. It's as simple as that. And so I think these days there, there's a lot of music in churches that's considered worship, but it's not really worship. And so I think because we felt that's what God was saying to us to do, we wanted to, we wanted to direct songs to God and the other thing we wanted to do was to use the scripture as a means of proclaiming, of, of disseminating, of teaching truth to people. And so a lot of the songs we wrote wouldn't have been considered praise and worship. They were really teaching songs. And so, but the reason we did it like this was because we wanted to teach people who are not necessarily musicians, but we wanted to teach through very simple songs that people could pick up quickly and then later on when they weren't in the service when they're just going about their daily lives the Holy Spirit was able to bring back specific scriptures teachings to them and so we were using music as a means of um, yeah connecting with God on one hand but also connecting with people about truth from the word of God as well Dale, take us back to some early feelings that you might have had because uh, all of a sudden uh, was out with the organ and in with piano, guitars and drums and while these songs became then hugely popular around the world, 
there was controversy at this point and there were some people who were sort of outlawing this idea of using modern instrumentation in church. Take us back to your feelings about things that were going on at the time. Well, you could say that um, David was very calm and I was pretty much terrified out of my skin because... um, when we did our first recording, we had my, my cousin, we're not musicians, as a matter of fact, and we don't write music and we don't play an instrument. So I always say that God has a sense of humor because why would he choose us to do this thing around the globe, which we've done all this time, when we can't even play a note on the piano hardly, you know. So anyway, um, I, was, I was nervous. God had said to us, um, if you will wait for me, we were doing, um, I've got a mansion over the hilltop, all that stuff that David's talking about, subjective songs, us, us, us. We wanted to worship. David was brethren. I wasn't. I was sort of heathenish, you know, when I got saved and met David. So I, it was familiar for me. My brother had a jazz band to use that rhythm section. So I said to him, Let, let's do that. Well, we took in, when we took the drummer into the church, it was just like, what on earth are you doing? You know, I mean, yeah, there was controversy. There really was. And then unbeknownst to me, um, I think I was either wearing jeans or pants or something. And uh, the the minister's son at the church, when we walked down to lead the worship, said to me, I'm going to have to go home while you lead the worship because I can't worship with a woman wearing pants. So I think there was a lot of, pioneering little bits and pieces there but really it came out of God saying to us I'll give you something more effective if you'll wait for me so you know we said we did nothing we were a singing duo at Youth for Christ and everywhere we did nothing for three years and the cost of that to me was enormous um, it was to both of us really but then God just all of a sudden opened our mouths and gave us these what I would really call jingles Things that people, as David said, could sing in church and then get in the car and still remember. But yeah, there was a cost and it was pretty terrifying at the time. Well, get in the car and still remember. And I know that listeners will all agree who can remember what things were like back into the 70s and the 80s. It was like those jingles got into your head and they couldn't be gotten rid of. That was the way it was. So, so popular. And I wonder whether, David, you knew you were starting a revolution in praise and worship back in those days or whether you just thought you were doing, you know, just run-of-the-mill things. But uh, it certainly turned into a revolution. It, yeah, it did. No, we, we had no idea about what we were doing. We, the, the, the other interesting thing that you need to understand is this. At the time that we began to do our, our music and, and recordings and books and things, the Holy Spirit was doing something quite supernatural right throughout the year. It wasn't located in one place. It was just everywhere. It was like as if God decided to demonstrate himself through the Holy Spirit. And so we saw all sorts of things happen. The gifts of the Spirit were being demonstrated around the place. People were getting healed, delivered of of evil spirits and, and set free, and all sorts of things were going on. And we came along and God just gave us a little key of, a sound of music that was able to work effectively alongside what else he was doing. And so that really happened, and that was, I have to say, that was quite a supernatural thing. And the fact that he would choose two non-musicians to do it 
was laughable, and yet, on the other hand, what it meant was that we concentrated on making sure that the words of the songs were the things that we really wanted to get into people's minds. The music was very, very important for memorization, but the music was to undergird what the words were actually saying. So that was important to us, to actually understand that. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. This is 2020 on Vision Christian Radio. I guess you could say it's a pretty special day today with a couple of very special guests, David and Dale Garrett, celebrating 50 years since the revolution that came with Scripture in Song. And uh, David and Dale, I want to be able to not just talk, but to play some of your music for listeners today. And as I mentioned earlier in the introduction, it'll take some down memory lane. And uh, for some, it'll spark a real sense of worship when they hear these songs afresh. I want to play one that uh, I asked you, what songs do you think would be appropriate to play in the hour? And uh, the one you came back with was the song Highest Place. Dale, if I ask you about the significance of Highest Place, I wonder whether you've got your own reflection on this song. Yes. I, David has always, as he's led worship, um, tried to bring people to a place of what we call high praise. As the enemy, our enemy in the spirit, is the prince of the power of the air, we feel that to make declarations um, about the authority and um, complete omnipotence of God, you know, he's totally powerful, totally present, um, is an important thing. So when we say lyrics like, we place you on the highest place because you are the great high priest, we're actually making a statement in the airwaves that is legal and scriptural and true. And so it kind of shapes things around a bit for our enemy, I think, and so that's a good thing to do. Okay, why don't we encourage listeners uh, to turn up the radio and experience what it is to be drawn into the presence of God and to join in with a song that so many listeners I know will already know, and even if they weren't really old enough to remember when it was first out in the 70s or in the 80s, they'll love this song. This is Highest Place. Great. And we come to you and 
one of those songs you may remember when it became popular to sing in church. Back to the 1970s and the 80s, David and Dale Garrett, our guests, and amazing songs that swept the world, a revolution in praise and worship music. David, if you were reflecting on that song, and, you know, we've been hearing it, it sounds like, it sounds like people singing in church. It's got a raw sort of a feel to it. It's got a, a bringing people into the presence of the Lord. As you talk about worship, what is it that you can put your finger on? And uh, I know listeners will be looking for some tips and some hints and some inspiration today. But what is it you can put your finger on that says this is what can elevate you into the very presence of God? Okay. Um, thank you. I think as I listen to that, I realize the tempo is slow. I realize that the singers are predominant. I also, as you can hear, the singers do quite a lot of ad lib type stuff because they are worshippers. We never once told them, you need to put in some extra ideas in there. They just did what they do because they're worshippers. And so I think as far as it, one of the major purposes of doing this particular album is this. We wanted to put together a group of songs. Someone needed to sit down quietly um, from the rush of the day, put some headphones on, just listen, absorb themselves in the truth of these words. And I believe as you do that, as I do that, and this is what I find for myself, as we do that, we come to the door of the presence of God. Just as Jesus said in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I'm standing at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, opens the door, I'll come in. And I believe worship and music that is worshipful, that is taking us to God's presence, will do that. But the, the, the really important thing beyond that is that he says, I'll come in and I'll sit at the table with you. And the thing that is really most on my heart about this is that God's people need to develop a relationship of friendship with him. And that's not necessarily with music, but we need to learn to personally become worshippers. And music is one of those things that can actually lead us there so that we can come there and begin a conversation with the one who created us in his image for the very reason that, like with Adam and Eve, we can actually walk together with God. And I think that's, that's sort of, in a nutshell, the sort of thing that's in my heart. Dale, sometimes we go to church and we think the main reason we're there is to hear the preacher preach. But as somebody described to me once, uh, the praise and the worship is like a separate sermon on its own. It really is a time of relational connection to God. How do you see that praise and worship as part of the service? Well, it certainly is, um, and particularly if you have a worship team that are personal worshippers themselves. And that, I think, is the key to the worship time. What we've always done is chosen people who we know know how to worship and understand the character of God. And then what we've done from there was to get them into the church way before the service started to actually be prepared as worshippers and then to prepare the building. We never just walked in as a worship team to any place in the world. We would always go in, first of all, about half an hour before, 
prepare that building and invite in the presence of the Holy Spirit. So all that preparation... Dale, I need to cut in because I'm about to go to news and we're going to continue our conversation after Vision National News. We're talking about worship. Both David and his wife Dale are visiting Australia this week and our privilege today to have them on the line from Sydney. If I ask you, David, just to reflect back to those early days once again, because while we talk about the introduction of piano and drums and guitars into church music, uh, there was all sorts of other technology that we had in those days that people don't necessarily think of anymore, and that was the idea of you know reading uh, the words of your songs out of booklets. And, you know, of course, hymnals have been around a longer time, but, but the idea of the, the new technology of the day, the overhead transparency, that was a sort of a revolutionary thing in those days, wasn't it? It really was, yes. We started with the books, the little word books, which sold quite hundreds of thousands in Australia and New Zealand alone, actually. And then we put the music books out. And then we found that uh, little books weren't any good. So, as you say, overhead transparency. So we actually created overhead transparency masters. We tried to just keep up with whatever was was happening. But Neil, can I can I actually go back for one little one little subject? Because one of the early things God said to us was, "Lead the people to me." Just very simple. Lead the people to me. And I realised that in a very real way over these 50 years, that has been a motivation for whatever we've done, to lead the people into the presence of God so that out of that presence of God, they could develop a real relationship with Him. And that still is, um, that still is a motivation as far as we're concerned, to use music for this real purpose. And let me take you a step deeper here, David, because while you're talking about leading people to me, and sometimes we think of the way we do praise and worship in church as something that happens in our white, Western-style culture, but you had an intense interest coming into the 1990s where you began to explore the treasures that God had placed in different cultures and with the songs and the sounds and the ethnicity that's used to worship the Creator, and based on the idea that in the book of Revelation, every tribe and tongue would bow before the Lamb of God, ascribing glory and majesty in their own culture and language, you were ready to take this to the whole world, not just your local community in New Zealand and in Australia. Yes, absolutely. Well, um, when God seemed to open up to, to me in quite a supernatural way in 1987, my need to understand the culture of the Maori, the indigenous people, it so happened that an outworking of that was a trip to Alice Springs and um, and speaking to a bunch of Aboriginal people and encouraging them to take their traditional instruments, sounds, dances, shouts, chants, and give them back to God. Um, and so that's something I did. And they they see, these people see these things as treasure, and I, I have a real strong feeling that God is not just when we get to heaven, but God wants to release so many different sounds that are outside of the normal Western church to Him in worship. That's that's something that's very much on my heart as well. Yeah. So, were you were you translating the same words for all of those popular songs into no, different ways? No. no? Yeah, that was my first idea. Let's do that. But then, the, then I thought, why do I need to 
translate what we're doing, why not just get them to write in their own idioms, in their own languages, their own feeling? And that's very much in my heart. And that is actually happening. In New Zealand, among the Maori people, more and more people are learning the language and more and more people are realizing that there's something about their culture that's unique that doesn't actually have to be influenced by Western cultures. So, you know, it's a, that's a whole, it's a whole thing that's very much in my heart as well. I mean, I'm loving the conversation about worship and to take it beyond the walls of our church and uh, into those indigenous communities, as you say. But, Dale, this has been something on your heart over all of these years too, and you're saying that worship isn't just for being in church or in the community in church settings, but actually in the home as well. You've written a book called Please Help Yourself, and it's all about hospitality. Uh, give us some insights into the things you've been writing about. Well, what, I, what I've been writing about and what is in my heart, um, I wrote another little book back in the 1980s um, called Oh Heck, Pleasure, Pleasure of Your Company. Yeah, this is what happens when you're 80, so you can't even remember what you wrote. <laughs> you're doing well. <laughs> um, anyway, <laughs> um, so I wrote that book. It was more a scriptural basis for hospitality. This book that I've written is both my story, David's and my story, and then how hospitality has opened the door for us to serve so many people of so many different cultures. So, and that brings us to worship in the home, of course, which has always been something very important to us. But um, also, in this particular writing that I've just done, I've tried to emphasize the fact that the word hospitality um, comes well, part of it is hospital. So I've used a quote by Mother Teresa who says, you know, it's not just those who... Uh, naked and poor and um, homeless and all the rest of it that we need to be looking out for. Um, but she says poverty is being unwanted, unloved and uncared for. She thinks that's the greatest poverty. This is her quote. Um, she, and she says we must start in our homes to remedy this kind of poverty. So what I like to think of is when people come over my door, I like to what we call clock them or look at them and say, what is, what's going on in that person's life? What can we do around this table as we pray, as we maybe take communion, whatever we do, to just actually make a difference to a life? And that's a side of hospitality, the hospital, that I think has kind of been forgotten and sort of entertainment has taken over from that. So this is what that book's about. So in a sense here, what you're saying is the sort of hospitality you offer in your home uh, in fact, emerges from the worship that you have begun to experience in church and that you bring into your home. And uh, and yes. the hospitality yes. itself is really a part of that worship. It is. It absolutely is. And um, that's how we've always lived. And that whole thing of hospitality is what opened the door for us in every part of the world. No matter where we are, we always have people in our home and we, we're... Um, we would never have a dinner where we didn't end up doing some prayer and worship or whatever. You know, we just, that's just how we've done things. And that's a very healing thing for people. You know, we just, we love to see that happen. 
Well, we're going to hear another one of those fabulous Scripture in Song classics, and we're going to come back, and I want to be able to pursue with you in the tail end of our conversation today your thoughts about today's contemporary worship scene, uh, whether that be encouragement or whether that have some constructive criticism. I'll be interested in your impressions, but let's hear another one of these absolutely wonderful songs, for some a trip down memory lane, to others a spark of worship today. So it's a matter of turn up your radio. This is another scripture in song with David and Dale Garrett. This one is Be Exalted, O God. I will give thanks to Thee, O Lord, among the people. I will sing praises to Thee. steadfast love is great, is great to the heavens, and thy faithfulness, thy faithfulness to the clouds. Be
Singers who began what can be described as the phenomenon behind scripture in song, David and Dale Garrett, are our guests on 2020 today, over 50 years. The Garretts have produced 28 albums, and they've got a new one just released, original songs on it too, called I Exalt Thee. David and Dale, both on the line with us, and I know that there'll be a lot of listeners interested in your own thoughts about today's modern praise and worship. If I come to you, David, if you're casting a, a, a mature look at what's happening in modern praise and worship, what are your impressions of, of what is sung in churches in general today? Okay. I think one of the things that I've noticed, and I noticed this a few decades ago, really, when I, when I visited um, publishing companies in different parts of the world, that songs these days, Christian songs that are used in churches these days are almost all written by musicians. Now, that might seem a simple thing and an obvious thing, but in actual fact, if you're a musician, the music itself is going to become really very important with what, you, what you're doing. And the other, the other thing that happened to me a number of years ago now, I, we were in Hawaii together, and I woke up one morning... And I heard in my mind a complicated bass um, riff, and the words came to me, the music has become the master rather than the servant. And I think there's a difference here, because as I said to you earlier, we are not musicians. Therefore, the music itself, has, is, from our point of view, has always been to support the words that are going out. And I really feel that this is something that God wants to do, and in a lot of contemporary music these days, the music and the songs are written for the occasion. If you understand what I mean, they're written for now, in this meeting, for now, that people can join them, can uh, enjoy them, can worship God with them, but they're not actually written for another occasion because in most cases, the songs that are sung are forgotten because they don't have a memorable aspect to them. And they don't have simplicity with them, which are two of the major things that were and are on our hearts. If you're going to make people learn a thing and they're not musicians, you're going to make them learn or help them to learn something that they can take away. There have got to be elements with that that are simple. There's got to be repetition. There's going to be rhyme. There's going to be things that hook people into a song. You could even call it just, as Dale said, a jingle. You know, but, but those things currently seem to be very much missing in these days. And I, although I feel that there's definitely a place for the large group of people singing songs to God, I think that the idea of actually singing out of a heart of worship is something that is so very much, very, very close to our hearts. I don't know how well that answers your question, but that's the way I feel anyway. Well, you certainly give hope to those of us who are not greatly musically skilled because what you're saying <laughs> is if you take that responsibility away from just people who are musicians, it means the rest of us who might have a uh, propensity to be able to write poetically, 
uh, or to yeah. write, you know, that sometimes people have a wonderful way of articulating biblical truth in a way that others can understand. And what you're saying is those people ought not to be left out of the equation when it comes to the lyrics of popular praise and worship songs. So it uh, opens up the idea that many more people ought to be writing praise and worship music. Dale, what are your thoughts for that exactly. idea? Exactly. Yes, yeah. I, I totally agree with that. You know, I mean, as I've said, we can't read a note of music, we can't write any, and I remember I wrote a song, none of your listeners will remember it probably, but it's called Hallelujah for the Lord Our God, the Almighty Reigns, mm. and it became a very, very big song back in the day, and, you know, I was so tentative about that because what I have to do is I've got to sing a melody and then find a musician who I can try and get to put the chords to it. And they're going, eh, and I'm going, no, it's not, eh, it's eh. You know, it's just so <laughs> ridiculous. But you can always find a musician. And that's how we've done all those albums, just uh, me hearing it in my head, uh, writing the lyrics, make sure they've got rhyme, repetition, and a hook. Da, 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 you know, something that people will go away remembering. And if you've got those three points, you've really got it nailed. So that anybody can do it. They just need to ask God for, what are you saying currently, Lord? And he'll tell them and they can write. And David, this idea of a timeless praise and worship song and the use of scripture in there, because I'm sure uh, some modern praise and worship songs are not written in a way that sounds like scripture, and there may be some really good scriptural foundations, and I uh, don't want to poo-poo anybody's idea of uh, the sorts of songs they're singing in church, except to say the use of scripture still a valuable resource, obviously, uh, for praise and worship music. Yeah, it really is. But not only that, but we've actually got an interesting biblical side to this. Just before Moses died, God gave him uh, one thing. He said, now, Moses, write a song. Now, the thing is, because Moses was the lawgiver, God had spoken to him for so long, he knew if he was going to write a song, it was, has to be a song from God. It had to be the word of God that was putting it. But then Moses was told this. He said, now, God said to him, teach it to the people and yourselves. And that's one thing that I did a great deal of, and I think needs to be done more. If you teach a people, a group of people, a song that you're singing, and they learn it, and they can learn a song, a simple song, very, very quickly. If you teach it to them, then it won't be, by the time they leave the, the room, the song is already beginning to become their own. And then God said to Moses, a future generation will remember that song. And that's what we realized, that the songs that we did and do and the songs that we've gathered from all around the world, because it's not just us. These are writers from all over, all over the world. Those songs have that element. They have the element of memorability, which means the Word of God can stick in the hearts of people. And that's something that's very, still very much on our hearts today, and I would love to see it restored again. Well, we are drawing to the close of our conversation. You're in Australia and you've been doing some workshops. You did one last night. Uh, Dale, are you addressing any more groups in Sydney over the coming days that listeners might be able to no, join in on? No, um, we're not. We're not doing. Uh, well, we are doing another radio interview. I know that tomorrow. I can't. I don't know where it is. Okay. <laughs> I think it might be somebody here in Sydney. But we aren't. Um, 
some wonderful friends have just given us a week here. Um, we don't get that kind of pleasure, so it's just been wonderful. But we've we've tried to um, combine it with ministry because it's what we believe in and what we want to do. So that's what's happening. But no, nothing more. But we're always available to come back to Australia. We love Australians. And yes, you did invent the pavlova. <laughs> uh, I, I'm not sure. Let's not get into that controversy. <laughs> Let's. It, there's no controversy. Okay. <laughs> um, no, we, we, we love it here. We, we, um, we love the people. We love the attitude. It's the can-do attitude. So it suits me and uh, a lot of us Kiwis very well. We're, we're grateful to be here. Well, I should say that with such a magnificent career that spans that 50 years, 28 albums, and of course the new album as well, uh, listeners will be able to get a hold of this resource, uh, certainly through Kurong stores. They have all of your resources. Uh, but also there's two websites to point people to. The Scripture in Song website, so scriptureinsong.org and the davidanddalegarrett.com website and uh, there'll be different things, uh, different focuses on each of those but if you're looking to follow through and make any connection with David and Dale or get a hold of their resources scriptureinsong.org or davidanddalegarrett.com and Kurong has all of the resources from the Garretts from Scripture in Song. Just wonderful to have you both as part of 2020 today and uh, really appreciate it. Those insights were such treasures and uh, honour to both of you for a wonderful career. I want to say thank you so much for taking some time to share your thoughts and your heart with us today on 2020. Thank you, thank you very thank much. You. Thank you so much. God bless Australia. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.